We'll hear argument now on number 95891, Ohio v. Robert D. Robinette. Mr. Ingram. Finally, Ms. Ingram. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case involves a traffic stop, a driver's consent to search, and the discovery of drugs in his car. The question before the Court is whether the Fourth Amendment requires a police officer to warn a motorist at the end of a traffic stop that he's free to go, and that if the officer fails to give that warning, any cooperation by the motorist from that point on must be presumed to be involuntary. Under state law, does the um, officer have the discretion to give or not to give a ticket after he talks to the motorist? Your Honor, there is a, there is a statute that uh, in a, if it is a traffic stop, the officer may simply cite the uh, motorist if he has uh, proof of identification, which doesn't have to be a driver's license. Uh, does is cite the same as giving a ticket? Oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood your question. He may cite or warn at his discretion. So he may cite or warn, and that obviously takes uh, a certain amount of time for him to make that determination of what he's going to do. I, mean, I, I take it the officer has a certain amount of discretion. Yes, he does. And so he has to have a certain amount of time within which to exercise that discretion. That's correct, Your Honor. Uh, once he says, I'm not going to give you a ticket, can he change his mind? He could change his mind, certainly, and give the ticket. If there's a flippant response or a response that indicates that maybe the person uh, has less regard for the law than the officer thought at first? Yes, Your Honor, that, that's correct. And the question would then become whether or not the officer's decision to change his mind, when he told the person he wasn't going to give him the ticket and then decided to give the ticket, um, would have an effect on whether or not the person felt then that he was free to leave or he was being coerced in some Quite without reference to a search, uh, the officer would be entitled to detain the motorist uh, after the officer changed his mind, said, well, based on what your remarks are, I'd say, my mind, I'm going to give you a ticket. Yes, the officer could do that. There is no right to leave uh, once the officer pre- proceeds in that way until the ticket is written. Right, that's correct, until the ticket's written or the warning's given. Yes, Your Honor. And that state law is consistent with our cases and with the Fourth Amendment? Yes, Your Honor. Let me ask you another nuts and bolts question. When he decides to give a warning, as he did in this case, does he present the motorist with a, a document, a piece of paper that says warning? Do they record these warnings? Uh, or is it customarily, and was it in this case, just an oral statement saying, I warn you not to do it again? Your Honor, it can be done both ways. In this case, um, reference to the videotape will show that the officer handed the person, handed Robinette a written warning. So he had given him a statement which said, in effect, on its face that it was a warning before he began the conversation about whether there was anything uh, improper in the car? Yes, Your Honor, and he had also returned his driver's license to him at that point. Do you think at that point he could have changed his mind and said, well, I've given you a warning, but after thinking about it, I'm going to give you a ticket now? If he had told, if he had told, if, 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 it would have been very difficult then for the officer to justify without anything further happening, giving him a ticket on just his, on just his change of mind. But well, I thought you said earlier that he could. I thought you said earlier he could change his mind. After he's given him the warning, I think it would be more difficult. But I think that the question of the validity of what he did on that would affect whether or not the speeding ticket, whether or not that was, whether or not uh, the validity of the, the speeding ticket was upheld, not whether or not it would simply be a factor to be considered when uh, trying to decide whether or not he was detained or whether it's. It well, I'm asking the question to determine his right to detain the motorist. He had the right, if the, if, the, if the motorist did nothing further but give the officer a flippant answer, then the business of the stop is over, the officer has made his decision to give a warning, the officer's discretion is still controlling it, and under Ohio law, there's nothing that would prevent the officer at that point from issuing him the ticket. The officer has that kind of discretion. After the warning has already been. Is the, it's a written warning? In this case, it was, Your Honor. So you can give them both a written warning, and then after that, say, in addition to that, I'm going to give you a ticket? Yeah. You yes, can Your do Honor, I'm sorry, Your Honor. You can do both? Yes, you could void out the, the, the written warning okay. to the extent it's entered and then um, issue a ticket. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any decisional law or administrative rulings in Ohio to support what, what you just say, or are you kind of going by, you know, what, what you think is probably the case? To support the, to support that the, the officer... The idea that he, the, the patrolman has given the respondent here 
a warning. The respondent gives the patrolman some indication that he has contempt for the law or something like that. Or if something causes the patrolman to change his mind. Uh, is, is, has that ever come up in any, any litigated case? I cannot cite you a case. I cannot cite you a case, but I, I don't know that it hasn't come up. Well, Ms. Ingram, what do you base your answer on, then? I, I, what do you base your answer on? On, on consideration of Fourth Amendment principles that until a, the officer has the right to detain a speeding motorist until he completes the business of the traffic stop, and his decision as to whether or not to issue a ticket or a warning in the final issuance of a ticket, even if he's already issued a warning, is part of the business of the traffic stop. So wh whether or not... No, but I, I'm asking you, what do you base your, your answer on as to state law, as to whether having issued a warning, you can then, in light of a flippant answer or anything else, void the warning and issue a traffic ticket? We can't do that. I mean, when we issue a judgment, if, if the lawyer who, who loses, uh, who wins, makes some flippant uh, comment about our judgment, we can't call it a bag and say, wait a minute, we thought about it again. Uh, now, now, a policeman can do that, though, huh? A policeman has the discretion to decide whether to warn or cite. Yes, Your Honor, and and, well, and I'm sorry. I, I know he has the discretion to do that. We have discretion whether to find for the for the petitioner or for the respondent. But having done so, we cannot then change our mind. What makes you say that a policeman can say change but, his mind? Because a warning is not a final order. It's not. It's not a final order. It's. It's. I'm going to give you a warning. He's giving the person a break. He's doing something he doesn't have to do. All right, but you don't base this on any case law that you know of. This is just your own uh, well, it's common oh, sense. Ms. Ingram, is that what happened here, or did he just get a warning, and then we went into this business about may I search? That is not what happened here. It just was the warning and then the question of are you carrying any illegal drugs okay. or contraband? And do you mind telling me uh, at the traffic stop, did the officer order Robinette to get out of the car before he checked the driver's license? Do you know? Your Honor, he checked the driver's license, then ordered him out of the car, then returned the driver's license and gave him a lecture on speeding. Mm -hmm. This was also captured on videotape from the time of the, uh, from the time he gave him the lecture on speeding, gave him his license back. So an interesting fact about this case is that there's no real dispute about what happened between Robinette and the officer during that actual encounter. May I suggest that your answer about whether he could have changed his mind and all is based on the common sense notion that as long as the two people are standing there together, the officer retains control of the situation. That's correct. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. What the Ohio... Is that so, even after the ticket is issued? Unless... Well, the... You would say the officer is still in control and the person can't leave even after he gives him a final ticket. They're still standing there. And is the officer in control? If the officer, if the officer gives him the final ticket and that is the last thing that has to do with the business of the traffic stop and nothing further has happened to give the officer any more justification to hold him, then the person is free to go. And the officer isn't in control in that sense. Well, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And the question if the person... But he's not free to go... When all that's been issued, all that's been issued is a uh, is a warning. Is that what you say? If all he's been issued is a warning, and the officer is still acting in such a way to, to cause this person to believe that his, that his that his continued presence is, is required, that he can't leave, then he is detained. Well, so was Robinette uh, still detained here after the warning was issued? He was not free to go. He was free to go. Uh, when the, but when that contradicts what you've been saying. He was, I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. He was free to go in this case when the warning was issued and when the police officer gave him back his driver's license. Um, in fact, at the suppression hearing, he testified that at that point when the officer then asked him, uh, did you believe you were free to go at that point? He said, yes, I did. And he answered that way twice on direct on cross-examination. So not only is there... Uh, objective from looking at the videotape evidence that the officer did nothing coercive, this person himself testified that he believed at that point he was free to go. Can we go back a little bit in time because the Ohio Supreme Court, which is the one thing that we have before us, seemed to say that the, the lawful stop had ended before the officer commanded Robinette to get out of the car. Under the Ohio Supreme Court's opinion, once the police officer checked Robinette's license, 
every aspect of the speeding violation had been investigated and resolved. These are the words of the Ohio Supreme Court. Hence, the Ohio Supreme Court concluded that the detention stopped being lawful and became unlawful when the officer commanded Robinette to get out of the car. Is that not an accurate statement of what the Ohio Supreme Court said? Your Honor, that's an accurate statement of um, the text of the opinion. However, in Ohio, it's the syllabus that counts, and isn't that an accurate statement of, of the first point in the syllabus? No, Your Honor, it isn't. The first syllabus depends on the resolution of the question of what is continued detention. And if this court, and, and, and is based and, and relies on the court's holding that unless these words are spoken, detention will be presumed. So if this court were to rule in my favor... But that's the second point in the syllabus. The first point says nothing about the... Um, the first point just says that the detention, um, that the extension of the detention was illegal. There's nothing in that at all in that first point about the, the warning at, that you are legally free to go. That doesn't come up until point two. The first point in the syllabus seems just to consolidate uh, the, the first part of the opinion. Your Honor, the first, the first syllabus is, I would submit, is an accurate statement of the law. However, the, and to the extent that you're looking to the text of the opinion, I would say that in Ohio, the syllabus states the holding of the court on the facts arising from the case. That's the holding of the court. What is in the opinion is simply the opinion of the writer or the author of the opinion. Suppose this opinion just stopped, the syllabus just stopped with point one. The, the point two is not necessary to the decision. There are alternatives, aren't they? Suppose the decisions that stop with point one, then the second question uh, is academic, isn't it? No, Your Honor, because point one is necessarily included in point two. Point one talks about continued detention. And in order to determine what the Ohio Supreme Court is talking about under the Fourth Amendment, when they talk about continued detention, you look to point two and see that there's a continued detention. We're going to presume that further cooperation is voluntary. If uh, the officer is not given this warning. So when that, when, when you understand what, when, when it's clear what they're talking about in regard to the second for detention. Well, why would one make that assumption when uh, reading the court's own account of it? It's one thing to say only the syllable states the law. But another thing to say is we're going to put on that statement in, this, in the syllabus something different than the Ohio Supreme Court's explanation of the statement. But, Your Honor, as this Court has, has, has noted in several cases, while, while the, the opinion itself is simply dicta, because the, the text of the syllabus is what the Court holds as the law of the case, and that what is contained in the opinion um, is simply the, uh, must be viewed simply as the view of the author of the opinion. Isn't it, uh, in Ohio, isn't it the case that if, if there's thought to be ambiguity in the syllabus, you can turn to the opinion to interpret one, to give one or another meaning to a syllabus paragraph. That, that's correct, Your Honor. But my position is, is there's no ambiguity in syllabus one because it's, an, it's a correct statement of the law. But if you go on with the Ohio Supreme Court's opinion, before they get to this business about a warning, they say, even assuming Newsom's detention of Robinette was legal throughout the time when Newsom hand, handed back Robinette his driver's license. The first part of the opinion says it wasn't le a legal detention. And then it goes on, even if it was legal, that there had to be a warning. warning. So the first part seems to say the detention, once the police officer satisfied himself with the license check, was unlawful, period. And then we go on to, but even if it was lawful, You and I, once again, I'd ask you to look at the language of the continued detention. And I, I don't think you can understand that separately from the, de the definition 
or the presumption of detention and, and lack of cooperation given in the second. Now, if this court were to hold against me, or I'm sorry, hold for me on the, sec, on the second proposition of law and remand the case to the Ohio Supreme Court with instructions to uh, decide the case using the totality of the circumstances test, then using the totality of the circumstances test and in view of the first syllabus, I would either win the case or lose the case, but I would lose it on the right standard. They would be saying, here's how we decide when detention occurs. We're not thinking about continued detention because of a failure of warning. We're going to look at the totality of the circumstances. And a court could either... Well, what about the Ohio's position that the continued detention was after the license check? Once the license check was done under this first heading, that was the end of the lawful detention. So that, according to the Ohio <laughs> Supreme Court's explanation of what that first paragraph is about, from the time the officer goes back to the car and tells Robinette to get out, the detention was unlawful. Your Honor, that's, that the, the court was wrong in that that violates Pennsylvania versus Mims and this court's decision in Wren versus United States. But the Ohio Supreme Court, and, and additionally, the Ohio Supreme Court has always held that the protections afforded by its search and seizure uh, provision are are the same as afforded under the Fourth Amendment. In fact, it it it, it uh, held that back in uh, March 1996 in a case called State X Rel. Yes, but may I ask two questions? First, this is different from Mims because Mims was a lawful detention. He got out, ordered him out of the car during a lawful detention. Here, as I understand the first paragraph of the syllabus, it was an unlawful detention after the purpose of uh, purpose of the, of the custody had terminated. But, Your Honor, at, at that point when he ordered him out of the car, he hadn't, even, he hadn't even talked to him about speeding and he hadn't given him the lecture. The Ohio Supreme Court also has determined that the officer's subjected, in, in line with this court's decision in uh, Wren versus United States, has also held that, um, that the officer's subjective state of mind doesn't, doesn't enter into a reasonableness determination. Um, the, well, let me put, it, put the second question. Do you just take issue with the first paragraph of the Ohio Supreme Court syllabus? No, I do not. Do you agree that's a correct statement of law? It's a correct statement, statement of, law. of law. But, I, don't believe, but I, I do not believe that if the court were to agree with me on the second or disagree, that that, 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 would, not, uh, that, that would determine the outcome of the case or that I would still lose it. Well, is it not true that, that we could answer the question presented in the certiorari petition in your favor? And still affirm the judgment of the, court, of the Supreme Court. I would say you could do that if you would, if you would, ish, if you would, um, if you would affirm, resolve the second, the question presented in my favor, do a uh, perform a totality of the circumstances analysis and conclude that the detention was lawful and that the consent was voluntary. But you say that a totality of the circumstances analysis has to be performed somewhere, either in this court or in the Supreme Court of Ohio. That, that's exactly right, Your Honor. And I think that should the court, should the court um, advise the Ohio Supreme Court or reverse the Ohio Supreme Court and hold that the totality of the circumstances test is appropriate rather than the bright line rule, then um, if this court were to, to look at the totality of the circumstances or to remand, I would either, I, the evidence would be such that even under, it would offer, it would offer an explanation of what continued detention means under the first um, syllabus and uh, a review of all the facts and circumstances would indicate that in this case where he admitted that he knew he was free to go and that videotape reveals no coercion that this person uh, was not detained and consented voluntarily. Your Honor, uh, if I may, I'd like to reserve the rest of my time. Very well, Ms. Ingram. Uh, Mr. Gornstein, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Ohio Supreme Court held that the Fourth Amendment categorically requires an officer who has stopped a motorist to inform the motorist that he is legally free to leave before any interaction between them can be viewed as consensual. Our position Supposing we disagree with that holding, is it nevertheless true that we might affirm the judgment in this case? I think that you should not. I understand that. But it, it is, is, it is, it is legally, possible if you, uh, if you concluded that on the totality of the circumstances in this case, the respondent would not have felt free to leave in light of the officer's conduct in this case, 
you could affirm the judgment. We would think, we, we would uh, suggest that you go on and conclude, based on the totality of the circumstances, that he was free to leave at that point in time. We, why, we, why would we make the, that judgment? Isn't that a judgment that the Ohio Supreme Court seems to have made? The Ohio Supreme Court itself has not made that judgment, except based on the uh, free-to-leave warning rule, which appears in the syllabus. Which appears in the, in the opinion after it had made the other judgment. But the, the, the first point in the syllabus presupposes... Well, where, where are you reading from? This is from App 1 in the uh, petition. You. It says, when the motivation behind a police officer's continued detention of a person is not related to the purpose of the violation. So that presupposes a continued detention and that it's not related to the violation. Now, nothing in that tells you when the court as a whole concluded that those two things were true. And I would suggest that you should look not at what the opinion writer said. He gave several different points in which the opinion writer concluded that there was a continued detention and that there was conduct unrelated to the violation going on. And the only thing the court said appears in number two, syllabus two, which when you put the two together, I think the only holding of the court is there was continued detention at the time of the consent was sought because of the failure to give the freedom of leave warning, and that questioning was unrelated to the violation. I think when you look at the first point, it would, the, the opinion writer's view is, is flawed for two reasons. Um, and that is, one, he relies on the motivation of the officer, which under this court's decision in Wren is simply incorrect. It's a, an objective test. And the second point is, at the point in time in which the uh, officer ordered the respondent out of the car, he had not yet issued a warning. He had not yet returned a license. So it simply is not true that the business of the traffic stop had been completed at that point. I think what the Ohio Supreme Court opinion writer was suggesting was that the officer was required to reach into the car and to give back the license and to say, I'm here's your warning, rather than order the person out of the car for those purposes. But I think under this court's decision in NIMS, it is very clear that an officer can do those Mr. two Bornstein, things you outside didn't, didn't the car. didn't order him out of the car for those purposes. I think it, it's conceded, and it's not a, uh, in controversy, is it, that he ordered him out of the car so he could turn on the videotape in the police officer's car and have a videotape of what next transpired. That is correct, but as I was just saying, Justice Ginsburg, it does not matter under the Fourth Amendment what the officer's subjective motivation was. It is what is a reasonable uh, conduct under the circumstances. And under this Court's decision in MIMS, as long as the business of that traffic stop was not completed, a reasonable officer can order a person out of the, out of the car to but issue what, the warning. What is your recollection of the MIMS rationale for saying the officer had that authority? It had nothing to do with giving warnings. Well, it had to do with officer safety. Right. That's was an officer safety implicated here? I think that what Mim says is that officer safety is categorically implicated every time. Even when the officer just wants to give the guy a lecture? It, it, it's, That's it's, what's involved here. Well, I, every time that the officer wants to have interaction with a motorist, he can take into account his safety. Yes, that a reasonable and, and, officer can. And Wren would say, even if he doesn't himself subjectively take into account his safety. If that is an objective reason, that's enough. That's correct, Justice Rehnquist. The but I thought it was, on the record, objective. The reason that he had Robinette get out of the car was he wanted to videotape their, their ensuing conversation, which was not going to be related to the traffic stop. But, Justice Ginsburg, the question, that was the, what the officer said he wanted to do. But the question is, what could a reasonable officer have done in those circumstances where the business of the traffic stop was not yet completed? And a reasonable officer can take into account safety in issuing the warning and giving the lecture and, and returning the license. Mr. Gornstein, do you, do you know whether the Ohio Supreme Court has had a repeat of this uh, holding? And if so, has it used the Fourth Amendment 
in addition to the state constitution? Has there been another holding about the right line test? I am not familiar with any additional holding, Justice Ginsburg. Uh, Mr. Goldstein, just so I understand your argument, you are saying that all of the reasons why there was continuing detention set forth in the opinion as opposed to the one perhaps set forth in number two of the syllabus are all invalid reasons. Correct. Okay. And, and so it's either, it's either part two of the uh, appendix or nothing. That's correct, Justice Scalia. Uh, of the uh, uh, syllabus or nothing. Correct. Uh, the reason that the Ohio Supreme Court's per se test should be rejected uh, for three reasons. Uh, first, uh, this court has in a wide variety of contexts uh, decided whether there is a forced amendment seizure based on the totality of the circumstances. The relevant inquiry has always been whether under the totality of the circumstances an officer's conduct would have communicated to a reasonable person that he was not free to leave. That is the test that has been applied in street encounters, in airports, on buses. And under that test, is his testimony he thought he was free to leave, therefore irrelevant? I don't think it is entirely irrelevant, Justice Stevens. I think that in this case, uh, an admission... His subjective motivation is relevant, but the officer's subjective motivation is not relevant. Well, it it, 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 it tends to show uh, whether or not it is of some relevance, but then you have to go on from there and examine whether what a reasonable officer would do. It is not dispositive. Similarly, the the cases here, what this particular person thought is of some relevance. You still then have to go on and conclude. Similarly, then, is what this particular officer thought of some relevance? It is of some relevance, but it ends up being uh, not dispositive because a reasonable officer could always conclude that it is reasonable to order somebody out of the car when you're going to have interaction and you haven't completed the work of the stop. Is there any difference between... A consensual encounter where the person has never been under detention and a case where there has been a detention and then it's asserted that the detention ended and the rest was consensual. I would say that you apply the same totality of the circumstances test, but of course in applying that test you take into account in deciding whether at a later point in time something is consensual or a seizure that at an earlier point in time there was a seizure. That is a relevant factor in deciding, but it does not change the ultimate inquiry, which is whether on the totality of the circumstances at the later point of time the officer's conduct would have communicated to a reasonable person that he was not free to leave. Uh, Mr. Gornstein, maybe, maybe, we should, maybe we should adopt a new rule uh, that in addition to... Uh, uh, when you're still in custody, uh, there's another situation in which uh, things have to be made absolutely clear, and that is when your uh, denial of permission for a search may impose upon you some sanction that otherwise wouldn't be imposed. I mean, there is a suggestion here that even if this person was no longer under custody, uh, his saying no to the uh, to the search of his car might have produced a traffic ticket. Uh, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, I would have taken the traffic ticket <laughs> rather than the uh, conviction for marijuana. But d- d- does, that, uh, does that coercion invalidate the search? It does not because that is not anything that the officer said or communicated to this uh, particular individual. And that is the test for deciding whether there is coercion. Uh, in, in for purposes of whether a, a, a search should be invalidated. Thank you, Mr. Gorenstein. Mr. Rupert, we'll hear from you. <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, if it please the Court. <clears throat> Before I discuss uh, specifically the merits of the case, if I might, I'd like to approach a ground which we think would be dispositive of this case that is, whether the writ should be dismissed for having been improvidently granted. The reason for uh, a position is twofold. Number one, <clears throat> it is clear that if there are adequate and independent state grounds for the decision of the state's highest court, <clears throat> that that uh, situation, uh, when confronted with by this court, is such that the court will generally not review the uh, case 
and we believe that is the case here. The second syllabus uh, starts the right guaranteed by the federal and Ohio Constitution to be secure in one's person and property requires the citizen for tra stop for traffic offenses be clearly informed when they are free to go. <clears throat> Under the law in Ohio, the Supreme Court has recognized its own inherent power. It did that in uh, Arnold versus Cleveland, where it indicated that the Ohio Constitution is a document of independent force. <clears throat> well, now, um, Mr. Rupert, I, as I recall, the Ohio Supreme Court uh, appeared to be interpreting federal law here and cited a number of federal cases. And in general, Ohio has followed uh, the federal interpretation of the Fourth Amendment. Isn't that true? I would agree that in some cases, uh, but the Ohio court has also recognized uh, its inherent power to reject a well, different... there's power. no question that Ohio could adopt this per se rule as a matter of Ohio law if it wants to. But unless it's clear from the face of the opinion that it has rejected the federal rule and is adopting something as a matter of state law only, under Michigan against Long, we assume that it's interwoven with federal law and we have jurisdiction. I, I think your position would require us to reject or overturn Michigan against Long. I don't think so in my first analysis, Justice O'Connor, and my reason for saying that is that when one looks at the syllabus, uh, which indicates the right which, of which the court is addressing is guaranteed by the federal and Ohio Constitution, under Ohio law, under Williamson Heater Company that's cited in the brief, the syllabus of the decision of the Ohio Supreme Court states the law. Of but in, in, Mr. Rupert, in Michigan against Long, we talked about opinions of state courts, not syllabi. And although uh, Ohio may have a special rule as to the the holding of its court, I think Michigan against Long would require us to look at the opinion rather than just the syllabus to decide whether the Michigan against Long test is satisfied. I would I would agree with the Chief Justice. Uh, that that would, that would be appropriate, Your Honor. Uh, there is an issue concerning Michigan versus Long, given subsequent cases that arose, Coleman versus Thompson and Yost versus Nunnemaker, decided by this court. Uh, Yost versus Nunnemaker? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, and it indicated uh, the court's review of the cases in that seemed to indicate that a re rebuttable presumption might be appropriate. It's your position that uh, if the Ohio Supreme Court says uh, we are basing our interpretation of the Ohio Constitution's unreasonable searches and seizures provision upon the interpretation the Supreme Court of the United States has given to the federal provision, but it is nonetheless an independent provision of the Ohio Constitution, you think that's enough to get around Michigan versus Long? That is my position, Your Honor. I don't think it's ours. I, th ours. I think our cases indicate that if you're basing your interpretation of state law upon the federal constitution, even though you say it's, it's a separate provision of state law, the issue is not whether it's a separate provision of state law. It's whether your interpretation of it rests upon this court's interpretation of the federal constitution. That's I understood that, Justice Scalia. Uh, my, my own interpretation in terms of analyzing the case uh, was that if this course acts and based upon syllabus number two, if this court would, for example, determine the Ohio court was in error under the federal constitution, the result under the Ohio constitution would not change and this court's opinion would be advisory in nature with regard Rupert, to that state grant. And do you, would you answer the question I asked Mr. Gornstein any differently? Have, have there been any subsequent decisions in Ohio that place this warning solely on the Ohio constitution rather than on both? There, there are no cases, Justice Ginsburg, that I have located that uh, predicated its decision solely upon the Ohio case law. Looking at the uh, merits of the case, <clears throat> obviously the issues that the Supreme Court confronted uh, were significant in terms of its citizens in Ohio, and the backdrop of the case is extremely important because the Court of Appeals of the Second District that... Uh, reviewed this case initially, indicated that it was adopting its holding and its uh, opinion in State versus Rutherford, which was another case involving the same deputy. 
And what the Ohio court was confronted with and what uh, gave rise to this significant issue was that the officer in that case, Deputy Newsom, who is in the same officer in this case, indicated that in the year Mr. Robinette was stopped, he had obtained consent searches in 786 cases. That's one officer in one county in the state of Ohio. Well, good for him, so long as he hasn't violated the federal constitution. I mean, the fact that it's effective doesn't show that it's unlawful. I would agree with that, Justice Scalia. It, what it does raise, however, are two significant points which the Supreme Court was concerned about. That's one officer in one county which would certainly could indicate that, that this same practice is affecting Ohio citizens and other citizens. What county was it? I'm sorry. What what county was it? That was Montgomery County, Your Honor. That's Dayton, uh, Ohio. Dayton. Uh, So the court was concerned that this may literally be involving thousands of motors. Secondly, the fact that the officer indicated that in all cases in which he sought a search, he he got consent to search, would simply indicate to the court, and it's facing the problem, that perhaps motors do not realize that they do not have the liberty of refusing consent to search. So it is a significant data. And there is very little other data uh, that's available, no record to tell us how many innocent citizens are stopped, are subjected to search, and how that impacts not only citizens of Ohio, but citizens of other states. Well, this fellow certainly wasn't innocent. He he was driving 69 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, wasn't he? Uh, that is correct, Mr. Chief Justice. There's no question that he violated the statute and the stop was appropriate. W- what is important when the court looked at this case is that it is clear from the record in this case that the deputy had indicated that he, in fact, had determined in his own mind that he was going to give a warning and nothing more. And he made that determination after he obtained the driver's license and before he ever removed Mr. Robinette from the vehicle. But you agree that the, the, that the criterion for deciding what, what he could and couldn't do, what was lawful, what was unlawful, was not his subjective determination, uh, but uh, a, an objective assessment of the facts. You agree with that? What the officer could do would be an objective determination. What the facts are in this case, which the Supreme Court is looking at to make its judgment on, uh, is subjective in nature. But the subjective fact is not dispositive. You agree with that, I take it. I would agree that the subjective fact itself is not dispositive of the broader issue. Yeah, okay. uh, and also, uh, in, in cases where we've been trying to determine for Fourth Amendment purposes at what point a seizure occurs, have we not looked at the totality of the circumstances? Yes, Justice O'Connor. And why shouldn't the converse be true? when we're looking to determine when a seizure has ended. Why wouldn't we look again at the totality of the circumstances? I would believe that under the Ohio Court opinion that they did not discard the totality of circumstances. Because would you think court- that's the proper rule then? Look to the totality of the circumstances? I, I think that the totality of circumstances rule is fine in search and seizure cases. This court's, uh, the Ohio court's opinion did not t- intend, nor does it suggest that it's going to supplant that. Well, it Ohio certainly court- looks like it to me as I read paragraph two of the syllabus accompanied by the opinion. They appear to have been grafted on it a per se rule in determining when a seizure ends, that you have to have a warning. Now, I thought, uh, in general, we would look to the totality of the circumstances. Now, maybe you end up with the same result here. I don't know. Nobody applied that test. Well, as this court said, Justice O'Connor, in uh, <coughs> Florida versus Royer, mm-hmm. uh, in that opinion, the court addressed one of the issues uh, in regard to that was an unlawful detention, and, and therefore any consent obtained was invalid. Mm-hmm. But the court indicated in that plin- opinion, uh, very similar to what the Ohio court rationalized, and that is, that all that was, would have been necessary for the officer to do is return the driver's license and the ticket and advise Mr. Royer that he was free to go. That is in the language but of the, the But the difference opinion. between the Royer opinion, as I read it, and the Supreme Court of Ohio opinion here, is the Supreme Court opinion, it says in so many words, we're laying down a per se rule, regardless of the circumstances. And Royer was a, a totality of the circumstances case. 
I would agree with that, Mr. Chief Justice. It certainly was. And, and, but what the, what the court has recognized here in light of the facts of this case and what's developed is how does the citizen truly know uh, when he can or cannot leave, when he can walk away? Because part of the totality of the circumstances is an analysis of what, what is the citizen confronting, what is the officer doing, what is the, what is the citizen or the motorist standing there, what, what understanding does he have, what is t- transpiring? And what the High Supreme Court looks at is uh, attempting to provide at least some very minimal protection uh, to the motorist who's confronted with the situation. Because it is true that until the officer tells the motorist that he can leave, the average person would certainly not feel free to depart if the officer continues his discussion with him. Uh, he's inquiring about where you've been and uh, where you're going and uh, who's, who's with you and May the I average you, person may is not in the field and feel free. May I ask you one question, Mr. Uh, Mr. Yes, Re- Refresh my recollection. Uh, did the Court of Appeals, the Intermediate Court in Ohio, uh, did they decide that the t- detention continued without relying on any per se rule? Uh, yes, Justice Stevens. Uh, the Court of Appeals opinion did not uh, refer to any per se rule at all. Uh, is, that, is that holding entitled to any deference in your view? From the Ohio Supreme Court or this court? From from a federal court reviewing the results of a state criminal proceeding. Uh, my understanding of this court's opinion in our analysis that uh, that, that review would be de novo. Uh, certainly would be considered by the court, but uh, the court is uh, not, it's not necessary to give deference to the... And the other question I had is, in your view, that you, I know you, you argue the, contention, the detention continued during the interrogation. In your view, was that detention lawful or unlawful? In my view, the detention was unlawful. Uh, and the Supreme Court very precisely analyzed that issue. Uh, the court pointed out that uh, <clears throat> when uh, Newsom returned to Robinette's vehicle, uh, at all aspects of the traffic stop had been concluded. He checked the license, it was valid, the registration was okay. He had already determined he was going to issue a warning, so he then went back. And the only reason, according to the record in this case, and Deputy Newsom, for removing Robinette from his vehicle was for the purpose of placing him in front of the cruiser so that he could begin, then begin the encounter. The, We've you know, just gone around on that. That's, uh, that has to do with his subjective intentions, and the, the issue is whether objectively... Uh, an officer could have asked. He still had to issue the warning. He hadn't issued the warning yet, had he? He had not he, issued the he warning. He had determined he was going to issue a warning, but he hadn't issued it. And the question is whether, knowing there was still going to be interaction, a, a reasonable officer could have had the uh, uh, intention of, of having him exit the car just to be sure he wasn't armed. Uh, that's, uh, that's perfectly okay. But let, as I understand it, uh, Mr. Rupert, you are not contending that this is invalid uh, because there was some coercion placed upon the motorist um, in his knowing that if he didn't allow the search, he might get a traffic ticket instead of instead of just a warning. That's not in this case. I have no evidence of that, Your Honor. That is an issue that uh, obviously comes to mind because the citizen... But it's not in your question presented and is not before us. It, it? it is. There, is, there are no but, facts in the record. But I thought there was a fact in the record. I thought he testified uh, that, in fact, he did not feel that, that he could refuse the request for the search. Isn't that uh, a relevant I fact? Perhaps I misunderstood the import of Justice Scalia's question. It is true that the record indicates that the first thing that happened was he was asked, uh, did you free, feel f- at the time that the officer gave you your license you were free to go? He said yes, but the immediate conversation after that took place and his response was that he was shocked uh, when he was asked uh, about drugs uh, or about the, are you carrying any illegal contraband. Then the follow-up question to that uh, was, do you mind if I searched? He testified that he was shocked and felt that he had no choice but to did he say why he was shocked and do you fact he did have drugs in the car? <clears throat> he did not indicate uh, why he said that he was shocked, Your Honor, uh, Mr. Chief Justice. He uh, simply indicated he was shocked when confronted with that question. 
Well, Mr. Well, Rupert, perhaps you're... he didn't remember that he had a half a pill there. Mr. Rupert, your question presented still only presents the question of whether this uh, uh, transaction was unlawful because the detention hadn't concluded. It doesn't raise the other question at all. That is correct, Your Honor. And this is a very narrow decision by the Ohio Supreme Court. The detention was unlawful, and any consent, if given, was invalid as a result of the unlawful detention. The, uh, the lower... Sorry. I'm sorry, Justice Breyer. Uh, the uh, uh, trial judge uh, looked at the tape and reached the conclusion in part on the basis of the tape. Is there anything that suggests whether or not the uh, two appellate courts looked at the tape? I couldn't find anything in the opinion that said that they did. Uh, the uh, appellate court, uh, I don't think it's clear. It was The tape was in the record. I do not uh, specifically recall whether any specific comments that would indicate they did look at the tape. If, if that's so, I'm, I'm wondering if there's some deference due. Uh, the tapes are awfully good checks against serious police abuse. Very good checks. Uh, is there any sense in deferring more to those judges who use them than those who don't? I think that may provide some added uh, assistance in reviewing the opinion for those judges who do. However, in the trial court's uh, decision, the trial court never uh, approached the issue of whether this was an unlawful detention. And that issue was not discussed by the trial judge. <clears throat> uh, Justice, uh, I think it was Justice Ginsburg that had asked uh, earlier concerning the first syllabus in this case. Um, syllabus uh, <clears throat> number one that appears in this case, <clears throat> neither the state nor the government uh, in its brief or in argument have contested uh, syllabus number one, which is before the court, um, which clearly finds that there was an unlawful detention and that any consent that was obtained from Mr. Robinette as a result of that unlawful detention uh, cannot be upheld since it is the product of that illegal detention. But the question is, why was the detention found to be illegal? And what the government says is there are only two alternatives. Number one, for the reasons set forth in the opinion, but both of those are on their face wrong under, under federal law. Or perhaps it was unlawful because of the reasons set forth in number two of the syllabus. And that's what we're debating about now, isn't it? Whether the mere fact that the officer did not give notice that you were free to leave rendered it unlawful. Did, did, are you content to, to rest the debate on that? Or, or do you think that we have to look somewhere else? Uh, I think the only uh, I, I'm I'm content with the issue as framed by the justice. Um, however, it it uh, it is clear that, uh, at least in my understanding of both federal and Ohio law, that the uh, syllabus uh, syllabus number one that that uh, directs itself to the unlawful detention is in compliance with federal law. Well, you, you think that that syllabus one could mean that the detention was unlawful? for a reason that is neither set forth in the opinion nor is set forth in syllabus number two. <clears throat> we should read it that way? No, no, Your Honor, I, didn't, I did not mean to suggest well, that. The, the syllabus number one clearly rests upon the facts uh, as the high Supreme Court set forth in its opinion. Facts, what, what, what principle of law do you think rendered the determination in syllabus number one that the detention was... Uh, had not ended, uh, what principle of law was that based on? It was based upon uh, the Terry analysis that the initial intrusion uh, that was justified in the first instance uh, had been, uh, that there, there were no additional facts that expanded the scope of the basis for the original detention. And, and therefore, the officer was, uh, had exceeded permissible uh, uh, search as a result of that. No, I, I thought that what we're talking about is the duration of the detention. Not. I, I think one of the factors the Supreme Court looked at was the time, that is, the time relationship between when the initial stop occurred uh, and when the officer had completed his and the subject to events. The court also looked to the question of whether there were any intervening circumstances 
that impacted uh, upon the officer's conduct and finally looked at the conduct of the officer in terms of whether what were his specific actions and was it flagrant and purposeful. And basically the analysis uh, uh, seemed to parallel this court's analysis in the Royer case uh, in viewing the conduct uh, that was involved. And, and the Ohio Supreme Court specifically addressed uh, the fact that once the officer had determined that in his, his mind all of the uh, circumstances relating to the original purpose of the stop were completed, then one could not justify the subsequent actions that occurred. Uh, it is basically a uh, respondent's position that <clears throat> what the Ohio Supreme Court attempted to do in reviewing uh, the facts of this case was to uh, provide some minimal, minimal protection uh, that is available under the Fourth Amendment. <clears throat> and that's all they were trying to do. The court does not. May I ask, I want to be sure about the fact, when exactly did the officer give him back the driver's license? Uh, after he uh, removed him from the car and placed him in front of the cruiser, the officer then, when his cruiser turned on the video, returned back, and then as he began to talk to him, he handed his license. After he had started questioning him. After he had started questioning him. And the dissenters from the court both said that that's the moment when he gave him the driver's license, that's when the detention ended. Right. So that ordering him out of the car was part of the detention, and the first few questions were part of the detention. Or the, at least, the, I don't know, just one first question or two. Right. That, that was the view of the dissent, Justice yeah. Stevens. And, uh, I guess that's the state's view here, too, isn't it? Still, there still arises the issue of, of the officer's conduct behind that. And one of the things the Ohio Supreme Court was concerned about was the fact that uh, while that is transpiring, uh, that one follows the other. There is no interval. Uh, the officer didn't stop talking. He hands him his license, and uh, he's talking about uh, we've had some traffic accidents. Um, and but um, let me, before you get gone, let me ask you one other question. Uh, and then the subsequent sequence of events occur. It is it is uh, respondent's position that uh, under the Fourth Amendment, the analysis uh, that was entertained by the Ohio Supreme Court was an appropriate one. It certainly is consistent with uh, the authority of this court uh, on, under Fourth Amendment cases, and we would urge uh, affirmance of the Supreme Court's uh, decision. Thank you, Mr. Rupert. Uh, Ms. Ingram, you have one minute remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. The state's position is that there's nothing so peculiar about a traffic stop that requires the imposition of a bright-line threshold. Uh, and this is a threshold, not a test. It's a burden without a benefit, because once that threshold is met of showing that, th that these warnings were given, the analysis must proceed to whether or not, under the totality of the circumstances, there was a detention and consent was voluntary. So while it, while it imposes the burdens of a bright-line test, it doesn't, it doesn't afford the benefit of clarity or, or certainty that bright-line tests uh, normally Am I correct that you, you think the detention ended when he, the officer gave him the driver's license back? Yes. But it continued up until then. Yes, and it was lawful. Lawful continued un until then. Uh, for these reasons, I'd ask the court to reject. Thank you, Ms. Reject. Thank you. The case is submitted.